0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we have a really interesting guest, really excited to have this conversation, Ashley Stahl. She is a counterterrorism professional, but she turned career coach speaker, and author on a mission to help you step into a career you're excited about and aligned with. We're going to talk about her new book out tomorrow. You got to get a copy of this. It's called U-Turn, spelled Y-O-U, very clever. U-Turn, get unstuck, discover your direction, and design your dream career. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, so fun. I mean, you know, there's so much more to your bio. You have a monthly career column in Forbes. You know, you've been featured in outlets like the Wall Street Journal, CBS. So you know, didn't read the full pile there, but everyone can access it on <laughs> the main the main page. But let's just talk. I mean, people are going to be curious. Like counterterrorism professional,
1: how the hell did you even get into that? Like, tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, not such an obvious career pivot, huh? Uh, counterterrorism to career coach, but. I grew up in a house where the news was always on. And I think a lot of people's careers, we have these moments in our lives that we don't even realize we're making a career decision about something without having given it real due thought or experience. So in my case, I just grew up in a house where the news was always on. And from a really young age, I was very exposed to what was happening in the world. And watching my dad and my uncles always fight about politics, it was just natural for me by the time I got to college to study the world, to study security, to study international affairs. And it was around the time that 9-11 happened that I was going into college and making those decisions about what I would do with my career. And it just felt kind of natural for me to devote myself to national security, having grown up fascinated by cultures and religions and people, and also having been impacted by 9-11. I had family on the East Coast um, during that, and they were completely rocked. I'm so lucky that they all survived, but just kind of wanted to make an impact and wanted to protect people or support people in some way. And the highest way I knew how to protect and support for me in my head was national security. So... I ended up doing everything to prepare for that career. I got the degrees. I did the internships. I learned the foreign languages, and
0: then tell, when you I know, found tell us when we,
1: Don't gloss over that. That's kind of interesting. Tell us, yeah. where, where, where'd you go to
0: school? What were your degrees in, and what languages did you learn?
1: Yeah, well, so I went to King's College London. It was known as a top 25 school in the world for national security, and it's kind of known that different intelligence agencies cherry pick from there. And so that their Department of War Studies was where I went for graduate school. In undergrad, I went to a small liberal arts college, and this was kind of during undergrad that I discovered that I really wanted to commit myself fully to this path. And when I was in undergrad, I was the only graduating triple major in government history and French. They, they'd never had a triple major graduate before. And more than anything, I think I picked three majors because I just wasn't decisive and didn't fully know what I wanted to do. And I think I was really hungry to have a plan and commit myself to something. And there was something really meaningful about working in national security. So I told myself, this is a really shiny plan. I'm interested in it. And I kind of went all in. Okay, so what what do
0: you do? Did you get handpicked by the NSA? What's what's the trajectory after you've gotten the degrees, you've learned the language? Where do you go next? I mean, whatever you can tell us without killing us, of course, is the joke is always you
1: know, (laughs) funny. Yeah, you know, I ended up interviewing at a lot of intelligence agencies and ended up in counterterrorism at the Pentagon. So I accepted a position as a defense contractor at the Department of Defense. There's a whole dance in working for the government with national security where in order to get a very high level job, you need to have a security clearance, but you can't get a security clearance unless you have a high level job. So it's like very chicken or the egg. And so my way of getting my job was I networked my face off. I moved to DC with no money and I had about six weeks, six weeks worth saved to cover my rent and some food. And I just put this crazy fire under my ass. I networked my face off. I went to college events for career, you know, like college career events. Right, Look, looking to network with recruiters for colleges I didn't even attend. Like I snuck my way. Nice into work, that. Yeah, I guess that's very, very shady, very
0: counterintelligent. <laughs> yeah. I was just gonna say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally did. I was just so motivated to make my mark and get into it, and um, eventually I ended up accepting that role at the Department of Defense and going through a, a real journey of uh, a career. So I was helping professionals who were very senior level civilians in the Department of Agriculture, you know, all different agencies of the government. I was helping them deploy to Afghanistan in 2011 when NATO was in the process of withdrawing American troops from the country And my role was to help prepare people for deploying for at least a year, if not longer. And it was during a really tense time in Afghanistan with the Taliban and just so much tension. And one thing that was on the rise when I was deploying people was this thing called insider attacks, which is when you are, so the people that we were deploying were paired with somebody in the Ministry of Defense or Interior in Afghanistan with the intention of helping them govern themselves so that when we leave, they kind of know what they're doing to navigate. And insider attacks were this phenomenon where they would be coupled with somebody in a high-level part of the Afghan government, and then they would blow them up in the head. Like, they would shoot them in the head or something like that. It's all insider attacks. So- This was on the rise when I was in charge of this program. And that's another crazy thing was I networked so hard that I ended up skipping three levels of positions. And I ended up in a management position for the Pentagon at 23 years old. So, you know, and before that, it was the recession. And I'd graduated from grad school. And I was an admin assistant barely making minimum wage. So if there's anything- I want to highlight that
0: because I can already tell. I'm like, you're so my- trajectory too in life, you know, really successful, young, like skipping ahead to like the top level when like that shouldn't have happened kind of thing, like technically. But I will say, look, I mean, uh, perseverance does pay. And we'll talk later about how maybe this overall plan when we were both 20 about, I want to do this. And that's because that's the thing. And it's the sure thing. And and how those obviously, you know, God, universe laughs at our plans, right? So- talk about that, you know, and that's where, you know, your, your new career comes in. But really interesting though, that that's like, it perseverance pays get, getting on your feet and be like, I'm going to go out there and I'm thinking outside the box. And you did, and it worked. You were able to skip ahead to, and and that's happened with so many people that I know in different industries and it's possible. So I just want to point out to the audience, not that everyone's going to want to get into your industry or, or mine, but that it's possible. You don't have to think small in terms of having to pay dues along the way. There are many of people who skip positions. They go from, you know, PA on set in Hollywood to production coordinator right away. You know, you don't always have to follow that trajectory. I just want to put that out there that, you know what, sometimes there's, there's ways around that and perseverance and your, your tenacity certainly shows that that's probably what that did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think when you really, really want something and you just desire it so much, you kind of burn those other bridges behind you of other options that are kind of like the, the maybes that maybe you have to do that thing to get somewhere else. And when you're just so on fire about something, you push yourself. I ended up replacing a colonel who they had said to me, you know, this role has been occupied by really seasoned professionals, but the problem is that they're delegating a lot because that's what they were taught in the military. Mm. And we need somebody who's going to do the whole job themselves. So I think it also pays to be showing up as like a self-starter who is really yes. willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done and check your ego out the door.
0: Oh, that's, that's great advice for any industry, any industry. What were, um, you know, you mentioned a couple of the harrowing moments like the Afghanistan dealing with, and I'm sure there was a lot of stress in, in general yeah. at that job. Uh, what was one of the most fascinating things you had had that occurred that you're able to share, you know, obviously how anything you're not going to defy your, you know, um secrecy <laughs> rules there. But but what are some things that are like, oh, this was a really interesting exchange or this was a tense moment? You know, are are, are there any when you look back and you're like, wow, I can't believe I actually was a part of that.
1: Yeah, I think for me personally, I was involved in making sure that the people who were deploying were well trained. And so I oversaw a lot of curriculum, which is really interesting now as a career expert and even an author, I'm writing content with this format of curriculum to it, you know? Um, But I was overseeing their curriculum and hiring people And so I was able to work with generals of the army in Afghanistan. So just being exposed to those sorts of people was really fascinating during a time of war in that country. But more than that, I would say the training that they were getting, I got to sit in with. And so there's a lot of different intelligence trainings. um, For example, like how to get information out of people that I found really, really interesting. Um, For example, one tip that I can give everybody that I learned just in intelligence training is... If you want to get an answer out of somebody, what you can do, like, for example, if there's, you know, a a class going on and you want to sneakily know how many people are in the classroom, you could ask somebody, there were 35 people in there, weren't there? And the person will respond and correct you. No, there are 57 people. So... Sometimes coming in on the back end with a little bit of sneaky, (laughs) sneaky, sneaky. I know it's not good. I'm like really positioning myself right now with you as like such a little sneaky freak, but (laughs) I promise I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm like, we need, we need to talk to like your significant other and see how
0: often these are deployed in your (laughs) personal life. No, that's really, look, I mean. How fascinating. I mean, you know, I know that was like your life your trajectory, but to us out here too, I mean, I think a lot of the country, I think that's why we're fascinated. You know, like I love, I'll watch any like movie about Navy SEALs or any kind totally. of like, you know, cause everyone's really fascinated by this stuff. Uh, I, I bet sitting in, yeah, that can
1: be, that must just have been so interesting. Definitely. And, and just going to different meetings, like I was in the government during the time that there was the mall attack in Nairobi. So just sitting in on those briefings, it's interesting. There's like an urgency and aliveness to, to Washington DC. And the city's pretty two-dimensional. I mean, if you're there, chances are you work in the government, you know, in some way or another. So I feel like there's this urgency and this aliveness to working on issues that matter for the world today, right now. And then there's this irony of the government that kind of moves at a glacial pace being the government. Right. When were you, what was the moment or moments that led up to you being like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I'm really grateful just looking back that there's such a blessing to kind of having a dream and then getting your dream quickly. You know, like I kind of skipped that whole part where I worked super hard to prove myself and get that kind of job. I there there's obviously an element of hard work and grit, but there's also an element of grace to your career. Like ask anyone that got somewhere magical and they probably worked their ass off to get there, but there was also some sort of grace. And, and and something um, that the universe kind of handed them uh, as an act, I don't want to say of luck, but it kind of can be. And so for me, having that moment where I was able to take the the top of the chain in my career and, and really take a look at what it means to work in counterterrorism and national security, I realized, wow, there aren't a lot of women, number one, in the Pentagon, like, you, you know, no surprise there. I looked around and was like, there's not a lot of women and i was so craving that nourishing nurturing connection yeah. with women around me like i need that and it just got me really sad and i had a lot of friends during the recession who couldn't get a job you know cuz like i said i was an admin assistant in la before i got this job making minimum wage and i quit my job and moved to dc trying to make you know use of my graduate degree and my dreams And I had so many friends who were like, I need help getting a job. And that became something because I wanted a job so badly. I was so terrified of not making anything of myself. And I hate to say I was motivated by fear, but I kind of was. And in that, I was able to hone in on these incredible job hunting skills. And so I started inviting friends on the weekends in Washington, D.C., to meet me at a Starbucks in DuPont Circle. And I would say, come meet me at Starbucks. I'll help you with your resume, whatever. And over time they would say to me, you should be a career coach. And I was like, that sounds like ridiculous. Like what even is a career coach? Like the only type of coach I knew was like a sports coach, you know? So I was like, what did they do? Like cheer on the sideline of your career? Like, what does that even mean? And, and then I looked it up after, you know, probably three different coffee meetings where at first it was just a couple of friends. Then they brought friends and then they brought friends. And then everybody started getting job offers after a few weeks of me helping them. And that kind of evolved into people saying, really, you should look into this whole career coaching thing. I looked online and I saw a bunch of like purple websites with waterfalls and rainbows. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, this is not me. Like, I'm not a fit to be a career coach, especially <laughs> not at 20 waterfalls. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And ended up starting it anyway. Like at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? I really do want to help people with their career. And so many people were coming to me that I literally thought to myself, like the way to sift through the people who are emailing, asking me to look at their resume, I'm just going to start charging for this. And so I started with like charging like $90 an hour or something back in 2011 and I had this moment where I was on a work mission. I was in Istanbul in 2012, and there the pro, there was a ton of protests at that time. And I was literally standing in a spice bazaar with tear gas in my eye, and I got a buzz on my phone, and I just kind of started putting the pieces into place for my business. And this girl that I'd met at in D.C. at a ceremony had texted me. She had done a TED Talk, and I told her, man, I would love to do that in my life one day. And she ended up referring me to not just a TED Talk, but the second biggest one in the world, which is at Berkeley, at UC Berkeley. And she said, hey, referred you for a TED Talk. Not sure where in the world you are, but they're going to talk to you really soon. And that put a complete fire under me to move forward and start my business. And I pulled a total doozy on the TEDx people because they were like, okay, talk about counterterrorism and the state of the world in your TED Talk and what you're learning from that. And I got on stage and I was like, I'm a career coach. And I just totally owned <laughs> it. The more I'm talking, the more like, I'm getting on the I stage. I'm not, they're not going to
0: bump me off of it beforehand. So I just have to pull a switch right on the spot.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm just listening to myself. I'm like, dang, I'm telling you, I'm like sneaking into college career fairs, using these intelligence tools to possibly manipulate my romantic relationship. And <laughs> I'm like pulling a doozy on the tech people. <laughs> That's hysterical. Well,
0: you, uh, is serendipitous amazing.
1: Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you've had
0: two viral TEDx speeches. Uh, so you know, I mean everybody will will maybe we'll put the links in the notes, the show notes to those for people to watch.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I I'm really lucky. That that first one was the first time I'd ever spoken on a stage before and the more recent one feels like a true reflection of everything I've learned and what I'm able to share and Even lately, I've been writing speeches um, for different sorts of executives that are giving TED Talks um, through my other company. I have a ghostwriting company. And it's funny, like, all the ghostwriters want to write the speeches, and it's the only thing in the business I do because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's just so much soul in giving a speech that means something to you. Absolutely. And, you
0: know, really... Parallel life there. On the I'm the person that everyone comes because I used to be a recruiter and an account manager and place people all over the state in all these big jobs. And so my friends are always like, "Can you can you look at my resume? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah." And it's an interesting thing. And part of that, gosh, I, I feel like I should do. Uh, it would be great to do a whole podcast on that at some point because at the end of the day, I think. Part of the problem with people is they really just don't know how to present themselves, and they undersell themselves in either the order of which they place a bullet point on a resume. Like the fourth one might actually be the the coolest thing. You got to yes. put it right up front so the yes. eye hits it right away. You know, there's an aesthetic. So you know, it's it's just a really interesting or uh, a, a great one was I was doing this with a friend who asked me to look at the resume, and we're going over this, and they I said, well, how much? I go, you know what? How much do you want to make? Like, yeah. what do you, what do you want to make? And they said, well, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I don't need to be like super rich or anything. I mean, 200,000 a year would be good. And I was like, well, but do you, do you want to make more than that though? Like, cause you just settled for the cap of your career in your life at 200 <laughs> by just declaring that. But anyway, it's very interesting conversations to have with people. They don't even realize how much they're short sell themselves on either paper in person or in the interview, et cetera. Uh, it is really valuable to get a career coach, um, especially if you don't even know where to start. So you you do this TED talk, you you roll into this, and then you're like, okay, put up a website,
1: start doing it. Yeah, I put up a website, and I was like, I'm going to leave my job, which I don't necessarily recommend to everybody, but I was like, I'm going to leave my job and make this happen. And I was lucky; I had a partner at the time who was able to cover the rent for a few months while I did this, and I was like again kind of like what i learned in how to get a job it's very entrepreneurial as well it's like the same thing of the same energy of how to get clients you know you're just pushing yourself to connect with people and so i sent hundreds of cold emails um to ask if i could come speak on different stages i sent the link to my ted talk that was already out on the internet to give myself a little more credibility and i ended up speaking for free on probably 30 stages in i don't want to say like Four or five months. And when I say the word stage, I mean, some of those quote unquote stages were college classrooms that I'd emailed my professors and asked if I could speak there. And that really gave me number one, it humbled me to speaking and it gave me some confidence to free form and get in front of an audience. And it turned into a lot of different clients. And so my practice was full within six months. And it's interesting kind of what you were saying about money. I told myself if I could just make 30 K being a career coach, I love this work. Like I want to do it so bad. Ended up making, you know, a total, you know, as much as I was making in corporate, if not more in six months doing career coaching. And I think there was just a huge need in the market. And that turned into, you know, my private practice, online courses, and now my, my U-turn book. I love this story so much. I really do,
0: because the other way is the other way that you left was technically the safest way. A lot of people would be like, "Don't do that. You've already been this far. Yeah, this much. What about? Oh, you know, the government has great benefits. Don't like, you know, if you stay, then you know you get a pension. I mean, all of these things that are again based in fear of survival. And so when you go against that, you take a bold move like that, and you're like, I'm actually going to go to do what I actually want. You know, and and on that note, you have to often do it for free at first. You know, no no actor ever gets a paid job right away. That's very, very rare, right? No, nobody just does a podcast and immediately has sponsors <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying right you have to go speak for free you know even this podcast like we're not paying you right like you got to go out there and do things like that and get yourself out there and that's one of the best ways is to offer your services for free or partially and again if you can get the skills to speak in front of a live audience even better um, just putting oneself out there this is truly a world of self promotion and that's really what I cover, you know, in my book and in, in talks about confidence is no one's going to come to your door and do yeah. this. So there has to be, but you also really need to be lit up about it. And, and, and you are, you know, yeah. so let's, let's transfer into like talking about U-turn, getting unstuck, discovering your direction and design your dream career.
1: Yes. I, this book is like everything in my brain and heart on a page. I've never had an experience of feeling such an energetic kind of harmony with the world through the process of writing this book. And there was such a catharsis to taking everything I knew in my head and putting it into words that could help people. Because before writing this book, the people who had kind of used my methodology. So there's an 11-step framework in the book on how to get clear on what career path is meant for you. And that really existed um, somewhat in my courses. Somewhat in my private practice, but there was nowhere that I completely brought this body of work. And I would say the most important chapter is about your core skill set. And there's, you know, I guess it's it's tough because as the author, I'm like, and then the other chapter is the most important chapter. But I feel (laughs) like there's something really missing for so many people in the workforce. And to me, it's that they're doing work that doesn't sync up with who they really are and what skill set they naturally have. So I uncovered 10 core skill sets after a decade of doing research with my own email list and different clients who have come in and surveys to really figure out, okay, how do I, I know I don't want to put people in buckets, but how do I create these little buckets in the workforce that people can expand upon so that they can kind of course correct and get into the right career based on what their natural skills are.
0: You know, I, I experienced a mismatch firsthand. And the funny thing is, is that, so, I mean, you are essentially a teacher, if we put a broad teacher speaker, right? But teacher, inspirer, coach, right? You know, it's all kind of under this umbrella of the old school word, old school word teacher. And I, if you had asked, if like people used to say like, oh, you'd be, you'd be a really good teacher. I'd be like, oh, I don't want to be a teacher. Like yeah. usually some of the things that people tell you you're good at they you're like, oh, no, it may just be the title, but it's the vibe of it, Right. Mm-hmm. it's the vibe of what, te- right. You know, the, the broader, cause I am now one, but I wouldn't tell people I'm a teacher, right. That's not the word word to use. But I remember back then people would say things like that or like, Oh, you're a really good writer. And I'd be like, yeah, I don't, there's no way I'm going to be right. Like I just, you know, because <laughs> again, I was on the train of like, no, I'm going to go become attorney. And get the money and become partner and like right, just like you. So it's very funny, and I love this conversation because once you're out of it, you look back and you go, "Wow, I'm so glad I took the leap." Um, but the mismatch I had was I was teaching seventh seventh and eighth graders when I was in college. I had bamboozled the UC Santa Cruz to I designed my own course, and it was a writing and debate course for some of the eighth graders, and at the local school. So we went there, and there was a woman who was teaching with us who was a fellow student. And she had no control of this room. You could just tell this was going to be one of those teachers these kids would be making fun of for the rest of their lives.
1: Like, oh you know God. what I mean? God bless just her. A total
0: mismatch. <laughs> but like this was her path. She wanted to do it. She This was. She knew for sure that she was going to be a grade school teacher. Here I am. I don't even want to be a teacher, right? But I think this is like a great way to get school credit, right? How cool is this? Like I just go down and teach some kids. Yeah, this is going to be easy. Like I was just thinking of it more of a fun no-brainer. And- I had complete command. I mean, I was absolutely, and I remember going, I wish I could tell her that she shouldn't do this. Mm, I wish I could tell her she shouldn't do this. It's not going to work out. It's not working out now.
1: Yeah, and there's such a celebration to that that I think people are missing where it's like, you don't have to be bummed that you're, something's not working for you. You get to celebrate it. And I think that's what really motivated me to create these core skill sets was I was like, all right, people need to start owning the fact that something that they're doing isn't honing in on what they're really gifted at. And they need to celebrate the fact that there's something else. And the sooner yes. they can set themselves free, give themselves permission, not make themselves wrong and get in their head about it and make it that simple, I think that's when your career can really change. Absolutely. and.
0: I think sometimes we misgauge an education for something as being the query we want. Like, for example, when I look back at the law, I just loved, like I was a philosophy major and have a degree in that. So I love talking about the philosophy of law. You know, yeah. I love the discussions. I love the court. I love, oh, I love reading about this, you know, Supreme Court cases. It was just kind of fun for me, but it was really the education of it and possibly the, oh, I would love the power of attorney stamp. But when, grateful I didn't, because I would have absolutely just that, well- would have gone the way it went, but I I'm not meant to be an attorney. The uh, when I got older and realized what attorneys actually did on a day to day basis, <laughs> you're like I was like, oh, that's not that's not my love of the law, yeah. right? The love of the law was in the education and the the talking and ah, oh, oh, it's good stuff. I didn't want to be it, right? There's a distinction there, and sometimes I think we confuse that. I certainly did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, there's a lot of confusion around interests, passions, callings. I think. Far too often, people say, "I'm like for example, I love travel and I love food." But if you put me in a five star resort and I'm the chef, uh, you know it's not going to be it's not going to be a match. And so right. I think far too often people will say, "I love fashion," so I'm going to work in fashion. It's like there's so much more to that. I think the bigger question is, what skill set do you have that is so natural and automatic for you that maybe it's so obvious you don't even notice it. And one question that I always advise clients, especially, and I talk about in my book, is to ask people around you, maybe two friends, two family members, and a couple of colleagues that you're comfortable with, is when have you seen me at my best? Mm
0: -hmm. That's a good one. I
1: I love this question. And if you want to take it deeper, you kind of look at what people say to you. And from there, you can say, um, okay, what skill set is this pulling on? You know, like if people see you at your best when you're speaking to a crowd, it's like, okay, that's a for example, I call that the words skill set on my list of 10 skill sets. So it's it's important for people to kind of do that investigation as well and not just look at what am I doing, but what skill set am I using when I'm doing that thing that people are really experiencing from me. Right. And let's go through
0: some of more of these core skill sets. And I just had this thought too, which is something you, sometimes the things you're good at that you could be good at, you would hate. Yeah. You know, people have told me for years, like, oh, you'd be a great agent in Hollywood. I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure I would kill it. I just have no desire to do it. Right. You know, I have no desire, like that would not fulfill me, but I see why they would say that. You know what I'm saying? So I think sometimes people confuse that and you've got to kind of get to a nice balance of you know, the love of and the interest and the compelled to do so, and also the skill set combined. Let's go through some of these core skill sets.
1: Yeah. I love what you're saying too, because as we kind of dive into each of these skill sets, I just want to remind people that your skill set is, is an energy. It's an energy that you reside in throughout the day. And so maybe your core skill set fits being a talent agent or a Hollywood agent But there's many different ways to express and optimize and harness a core skill set. So it's important to look at your options. And another chapter I talk about in the book is your core values as a filter for your core skill set. So once you kind of know this is my core skill set, from there, it's important to say, all right, how do I filter all of these job options that exist through that? And that to me comes back down to your core values because... Your core skill set is ultimately the what of what you're doing throughout the day, how you're harnessing your energy. Uh, your core values more relate to how you're doing it. And given that 50% of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, how you operate, who you work with, your core values, it really matters just as much as what you do. And I think when you're talking about being an agent, it's like, yeah, that's using your core skill set, but um, it's violating probably some core values for you. So... Love lot of, A that. lot of core values, including I'd have
0: to lie constantly.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we all know based on the way I sound at the King counterterrorism, I guess I'm fine with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You, yay. Maybe we got a new career and a third career for you here. No, uh, my gosh. you discovered. Um, so yeah. So let's, uh, if, can you share some of the other skill sets that Yeah, you know? Yeah.
1: So, okay. So there's 10 and I'll just breeze through these and you can just, you know, um, ping me if I'm going too fast. But the first one is innovation. And any, any of my note takers who are listening, uh, the innovation energy is one of an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. It's the creative self-starter. Maybe they have their own book of business under the umbrella of a company as an intrapreneur, or they're the ideas person and the visionary as an entrepreneur. Um, a lot of times I see an innovator in corporate as the second in command or somebody who's really rising in the ranks quickly. Um, the second core skill set is building. So this energy can be quite literal as a car mechanic or a construction worker, or it can be a little bit less literal as a web developer or somebody that's building a website. Um, and then the third core skill set, and I wonder if this one is, is also yours, L, is um, words. And this is my core skill set. So these are the speakers, the writers, the content creators, the salespeople. Uh, words are my deepest core skill set. It's the most automatic place for me to go and use. And then the fourth one is motion. So, this is anybody from a fitness trainer or a masseuse to a tour guide. These are people who want to be out and on their feet using their physical energy in some way. Mm-hmm. And then, number five is our service providers. And these ones are quite an interesting one. So, these the service as a core skill set the humanitarians, the nurses, the supporters. It brings up a really important point that I kind of look at throughout all of these core skill sets, and it's the distinction between being inspired to be something and use a certain skill versus wounded. And I find that sometimes people with the service core skill set, they'll say, this, I'm a service person, I want to be of service, when really it's like, no, you've learned to be a people pleaser as a coping mechanism throughout your life, and you think it's your best skill set. Oh my God, I'm so glad you just said that.
0: Okay. I want to highlight on that one for a second then, because you know I've had uh, Dr. Robert Glover on twice, but he's the author of No More Mr. Nice Guy, really well-known mm. book about people pleasers. And that. I talk about them in my book as well, because you know people pleasers, not, they not only say and agree to things like, oh, you want to go for Chinese? Oh, that sounds great. Even though they hate Chinese food. They do it because they don't want people to think ill of them. They want people to like them. But then what happens is people like you for a false sense of you that you've presented and not only that it starts to roll into all these covert contracts and like it just it becomes a passive aggressive gaslighting nightmare for these people and it often backfires on them constantly i like that you are kind of pointing out potentially the reason to ask oneself okay let me dig a little deeper and go why like how true yeah. is this to me i guess this is connecting with the core value but let's can you expand on this conversation of just this topic right here of the people pleaser slash service workers, because I think there's probably a lot of things that are going to be highlighted.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think throughout our upbringings, we develop different coping mechanisms. And I think one of the most important things that I could say to people listening now about this is sometimes your wounds do become your inspiration, you know? So sometimes you have some sort of trauma or experience or coping mechanism that does become your best skill set and you do love being in it. I think it's just really important to ask yourself, especially if you're in the service space, um, do you actually love being of service or, um, another core skill set that I'll get into since we're only on number five is analysis. And I've had a client before where their, their dad put a lot of pressure on them to be excellent. And so they thought that analysis was theirs when really that's just their coping mechanism in the world. So really asking yourself, and a lot of people are going to think, oh, I, I can see two or three of these skill sets as something that's natural for me. But I want to just highlight that everybody has one that's completely the most natural and masterful for them. And so the service people, um, I would ask yourself, do you have boundaries? Um, Are you of service in a way that you're abandoning yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? Because the people who seem to actually be able to endure a service-based career are the ones that kind of know where where they need to say no as well. Mm-hmm. So that's really, really, really powerful. And yeah. You know,
0: I guess the people pleaser as a, as a service person you know, scenario there, not all, we're just talking about these, these tangents here, is kind of no different than a person who just like, wants to be famous for the sake of that. And again, thinking that that thing, is going to fuel you because it's the attention and the oh you're so wonderful right oh you oh my son he helps poor people in Africa it's like but do you <laughs> love it right you know but sometimes the identification of it is the ego satisfaction and that's when you know it's kind of probably not a good thing not to say that there can't be some of that we all like praise we like to feel you know like we're we're worthy and of, of people's attention in certain ways or, or you know money and clients but you know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I find that, um, you know, in the same way that I kind of distinguish the what from the how, like there's a skill set and there's many different jobs that it lends itself to versus what you value and how you want your skill to be, what kind of environment you want to use your skill in or how you want to use it. I think kind of distinguishing like inspiration versus wounding is really powerful when you're evaluating your core skill set. And even if they're on- How would you say to someone to
0: do that? What kind of questions do I sit here with myself and go- Let me ask myself some questions to make sure this is right.
1: Yeah, great question. I would say, what experiences in my life have lent themselves to me honing this skill? Mm.
0: And, then, and then if it's a bunch of traumatic experiences, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if it's a list of horrendous <laughs> shit, I mean, then yeah, then I guess you know. Okay, did you run through all of the ten, or are you still going? No, count, okay. So so, okay. so
1: far we we've done innovation, building, words, motion, and service. So one through five, and then number six is coordinating. God bless the coordinators. I feel like mm. you're probably like me, Elle, where you're like. Thank God for these people. You sound more like a visionary to me. Um, the event coordinators, the operations people, yes. the project managers, they keep the world moving. Um And kind of going back to that wounded versus inspired question, I also had a client once who their mom was an alcoholic and she leaned on them a lot and coordinating wasn't actually their core skill set. They just learned how to do it really well because they kind of were the parent to their parents. So Uh, they had to out of necessity and trauma. Let's throw that back into the conversation. Exactly. Um, And then number seven is analysis. So Um, These are the researchers, the academics, the economists. I look back at my time in counterterrorism and I'm like, dang, I'm so proud that I did a good enough job in an analytical job when that's not my core skill set, number one, two, or even three. So, I mean, imagine if you're listening right now and you don't like your job, A, how much energy is being sucked out of you pushing a river and trying to do a skill set that isn't necessarily your core skill set. But imagine how great you would be if you finally click in and start using your core skill set, you know? Mm -hmm. So number eight is numbers, and that's, you know, our accountants, our investment bankers, our number crunchers of any sort. God bless these people. I I can't. (laughs) I can't. And, you know, as you're listing all
0: these things, I mean, and even the audience, like, how wonderful we live in a world where everyone likes to do all the different things that need to be done
1: because... (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, it's and that's the thing, you know, it's like kind of that that saying, like one man's junk is another man's treasure, like mm-hmm. or woman, you know, like one person's like least favorite job. Some people are out there just excited to do it. And so we have to remember that if we're not enjoying ourselves, it's just feedback. It's not for us. It doesn't have to be something that we make wrong, make it mean something about ourselves. And I think that's something that we can all be a little easier on ourselves about. Um, but number 10 is or sorry, number nine is technology. So you know, bless the people at the Genius Bar at Apple who have helped me with my coffee spill on my laptop a thousand times. Mm -hmm. And then number ten is my favorite, and it's not to say that this is me at all, but beauty. So people with the beauty core skill set, they make aesthetics everywhere they go. They just Mm -hmm. create beauty. They're the interior designers, the makeup artists, um, and I would say that that's a skill that I'm working on honing, but not something that I would turn my career into based on these ten core skill sets. I would be the worst makeup
0: tutorial person. <laughs> and I admire it and I love it. And it's one of those things where I'm like, oh, I need to get better at it because you know I'm on camera a lot. And so, you know, I, but I, I like I I'm so admiring and in like in awe of like just you know, friends that aren't even a makeup person per se, but they're doing videos and like, oh, you know what? Because they're into it and they got into it and they're I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at all these different looks they have. Like, what am I doing? I'm doing the same thing all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, it's very such a creative, interesting and in our industry here in Hollywood as well, like I mean, my gosh, all of the set designers, the costume. I mean, you know, that's just an incredible world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think there's such a freedom in being able to admit to yourself, like, I'm terrible at makeup or I'm terrible at creating beauty. Like, design isn't my thing. Whatever it is, it's like, um, I, I don't know. There's so much talk in the coaching world about don't judge yourself, but there's something about knowing yourself. That exists in, in there somewhere where it's like, just know thyself. Like this might not be your thing. And um, the more you can celebrate that and move on, the better you are. And, and I think that's the problem. A lot of people hold their career very heavily. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they overthink it and they don't move quickly because of it. And kind of reminds me of a sign I saw when I walked into Pixar in LA. I'll never forget I walking into that office, and the sign said, fail faster. And Love I just never forgot that, yeah, it's actually the first thing in an improv class if you have a good teacher,
0: they'll just be like, "All right, everyone, throw your hands up and say, "I failed because you're yeah. going to." <laughs> exactly. it's going to happen all over this class, and we're just going to get used to it because this is not about succeeding or good or bad, it's about playing the game, right exactly. and yeah, it's really interesting, uh. Gosh, there's there's so much to be said about this. Tell us uh, of 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 some of the people. I mean, out of hundreds of people you've coached and influenced in some way, tell us about some of your favorite stories or stories that really stick out. That might be real one eighties, where or real like, oh wow, that who would have known? And you know, it worked out. Something that just you know shines out in your mind.
1: Mm, I've coached so many different people, from like celebrities that don't want to make movies anymore to an admin assistant who isn't in the right place. You know what? I would say the most interesting change coming to mind now, and there's been so many the past 10 years, is somebody who was working as, what was it? It was like a doctor. She was, God, this was like three years ago. She was a doctor, like a general practitioner. And she went into it because she loves people and she loves health and wellness and she was really good at science. But when she got into being a GP, she didn't enjoy the amount of paperwork. She told me that 50% of her time was spent doing admin work. And obviously the entrepreneur in me is like, can you delegate that? And apparently she couldn't. Mm -hmm. And so she ended up confiding in me that she always had an interest in working in fashion. And I kind of did my whole method here that I would do with my 11 step roadmap in the U-turn book of figuring out, okay, what's what's your nature? What's your values? What's your skill set? What motivates you? All of these different things. And the more I kind of looked at her, the more I thought, you know what, like fashion would make sense for you. And that's an industry. So kind of going into what skill set she was using in fashion. Um, But she was really good at numbers. She had a very analytical mind. And so that same analytical mind that she used being a doctor, she ended up becoming a fashion buyer. And last I checked, she was working at Christian Dior in New York. So I have no idea where she is now, but she ended up having that story that I think a lot of people have where she She's like, I can't, you know, just pivot. I'm going to have to start over. I'm losing all this money from medical school. And I'll never forget me saying to her, like, why don't you just start having some conversations with people and see how receptive they are. And she networked her way into a merchandiser role, a buyer role role. Uh, Pretty quickly, I think that it was in within like six to eight weeks. And I remember she said to me, like, "Oh my gosh, am I going to leave my entire medical career behind me?" And my biggest thing that I think got her into motion was I said, "You can always come back. You can come back two weeks later." You know, like, and that's the thing people
0: forget too. Yeah, if you even if you move to a different state or place, guess what? You can always change your mind.
1: Exactly, and I, I love that so much, and. And I feel like anybody listening, it's like, take this as a reminder. If you forget everything from this episode, like you're allowed to change your mind on what you want, on who you are, on, I mean, I think with every new belief we have about the world or every new thing we're exposed to, it's like this older version or way of being or way of seeing our career dies a little bit because we're just, we know more and we see the world differently because of it.
0: Let's talk about how you do not have to have everything figured out right after college, although you're going to do it anyway. You're going to do what we did. You are good, right? People are going to be like, I'm going to do that. That's, this is what I want to be. Just be open to the fact. In my life, I have met very few people who have stayed at the thing that they first attempted. I mean, some, but but most not, have had a different change of heart here along the way. You know, you don't get to know yourself to a certain part, and you got to move through the world, and you might realize that what you planned, like we did, wasn't for you. And so, just be open to the fact that it can change. You know, you can go for something, but be open because I think the biggest stumbling block too is people are too attached to that identification. But I went to school for this. But I did this right. But I, but I identify. You know what I mean? If this is this is what I do. And they're almost too embarrassed and ashamed to kind of say they want to do something different and take a right turn. And a lot of it's based on what they think people will think of them. Or they're f- afraid that, well, what if it doesn't work out? And it's like, well, you're back to where you are now, which is not liking where you are. And yeah. so I feel like one of the best examples of this is, well, if it's just, and it's also, not only you don't have to have it figured out at 20, right? But it's never too late to reinvent yourself. I mean, Louise Hay started Hay House at like age 60. You know, Mark Sisson, the the owner of this podcast, and everyone knows who he is who's listening probably. I mean, he didn't really start getting into making any kind of money until he was like in his late 40s. You know what I mean? Um, And he was, you know, so so things can change and move and it doesn't have to be that you choose one thing and that's it forever. You just have to start to build a resume. And once you get in the workforce, you'll start to realize where it is you might want to go and what you don't want to do and do.
1: Absolutely. And I find that, This is something that I kind of talked about in my most recent TED talk is, you know, when you follow what feels right, those little nudges, these little breadcrumbs of that part of us in our intuition that says, hey, check that out. That's interesting. Or wow, that person's doing that thing. And I find it so fascinating. It's like, those are just little nudges from your body, like reminding you to go check it out. And the more you're willing to do that and follow those things, I think the answers are often right in front of you or on the periphery of that. And so I've been really committed to always following those little nudges and creating space for that in my life, whether the nudge looks like taking a poetry class or in the case of my book, I'll be turning it into a movie. So following that nudge to kind of talk to more producers lately and transition into creating this content in, in a film. So I think there's just so many different ways we can follow our intuition. And it's just so important to even be connected to it and notice when there's something inside of us saying, hey, like look into that.
0: You know, the part of the tagline on your book, U-Turn, which by the way, if anyone has listened to two seconds of this is going to want to go buy it immediately tomorrow oh, wow. after hearing Ashley talk about it. I, I mean, my gosh, what a, what a what a, great piece of work. But, you know, the first thing is get unstuck, right? So, I mean, yeah, hire a coach. Yeah. Um, but take some direction, step forward. Too, uh, we've all done it, but I think I've just seen too many people simmering in limbo because, at our age now, it's like you I'm sure you know a lot of friends and people who are going, Well, what what is this all about? Like they've been in that same job for two decades, or you know, they've and they're simmering in the stuckness for a very long time. And, and by the way, everyone that eventually gets out of that is like, oh man, I wish I would have done this sooner. And it's not that there's any woulda, coulda, have, or regrets in life, but do it. Do it. Don't, don't, don't be like some of us who are like, oh, I I wish I could have gone back and changed that sooner, et cetera. Uh, it all works out in due time. But you know, getting unstuck, you just have to take a step forward. If aside from like reading your book and, you know, taking online courses, what are some tips for someone to sit there and ask themselves, like, they feel stuck. They're not in a job. They're in a job they signed up for. They went through the training. They're a nurse, whatever. And they realize they don't want to be this anymore. They don't have their heart in it. It's a phone in. They're bored. I know what it's like to go to work every day in the corporate world, get home, sit in front of the TV, do it all over again, and feel like you're dreaming work, you're sleeping work, you're just doing the same thing over. And you're like, what's life worth? This sucks.
1: Yeah. Right? Totally. So there's
0: a lot of people right there, right now, particularly. And hey, it is a new year. So, So what are some things people can kind of ask themselves or what kind of thoughts would you offer for the people that are stuck in that, stuck there right now?
1: Yeah, I would say being stuck usually means that either you already know what you want to do and you're trying to override it with your mind because, you know, we're so hardwired for survival. There's maybe some reason that you think you can't actually go do the thing you want. So I would say the first question to ask yourself is, what do I know that I wish I didn't? You know, I think... That question makes you look at the truth in any area of your life. I mean, some people might answer that question and say, I want to get a divorce. Or some people are going to answer that and say, I think that there's like a lump in my whatever and I need to get checked out of the doctor. Other people are going to say, I hate my job. And the more you can get into the truth of where you are, that's where the work starts. I think a lot of people are stuck because they're pushing the truth down like a beach ball in the ocean and they're just working so hard to avoid it and they're spinning their wheels, avoiding it. And as a result, they can't even move because in order to move, you need to be honest about where you actually are. Um, So that's the beginning of that. And then another step I would say is asking yourself, where do you feel like you're expanding and where do you feel like you're contracting? Where do you feel like you're getting energy in your work? where do you feel like you're exhausted and depleted what are those things that are for you one exercise i love to give clients is they draw quadrants on a page and at the top they'll write good at and not good at and on the sides they'll write like and don't like so in the good at and like box i always tell clients like write all of the different tasks that you're doing and that you like and you're good at. And I would tell them, this is about 60% of your work, like the formula to having work that is meaningful and fulfilling. I would say 60% of the stuff you do, you want to be good at and you want to like. And then I would say, The other box of not good at, but like, this is a very interesting box. This is the box of growth, the things that you're not good at, but you really like. And I would say if you could spend 20% of whatever work you're doing, working on things that maybe you're not good at, but that you like and, and honing on those, you're really growing in your career. It's not to say that you should devote so much of yourself to things that are not a strength for you. But I do think that a lot of the times we discover strengths through trying things on and really investing in them. And then I would say the good at and don't like box. Um, you don't want to spend much more than 10% of your time in that box. And and then also the go- not good at and don't like, I would say 10% of your time at most. Um, a lot of people I think have an unrealistic standard that they should love every aspect of their job. So final question I would ask, and it's, and I, I would say I'm pretty unusual as a career expert to be putting this out there is, are you being unreasonable with your expectations of your work because you should be fulfilled with what you do, but it's called work for a reason. We're still working. Such so. great
0: stuff. I feel like we could go on for a couple more hours on get really into <laughs> We would just be doing the audiobook version of
1: your book. Totally. I would be so down. You're so much fun to talk to. I feel like I've never had a host be like, You're being sketchy. And I'm like, Yeah, I am. And I'm. I'm down <laughs> <with that. laughs> Oh my gosh. This is okay. So, so first of all, you've got a free
0: quiz on your website to discover the best career path for you. Tell us also the things that you, I mean, obviously you do private coaching. Tell us, how can we connect with you, learn from you? First of all, everybody tomorrow, you turn that that's the book U-turn, you turn youu you, you turn, get unstuck, discover your direction and design your dream career. That's first and foremost. I think everyone listening is going to want to read more about this. Um, but tell us again, how can we work with you and benefit from all of your
1: expertise? It means so much that you're asking. I would say the quiz on my website is really, really helpful start. Um, and if you read the book, you're just going to go so much deeper on getting clarity on your best career fit. I'm on Instagram at Ashley Stahl. and I would say the best place to get the book is at UturnBook.com. It's Y O U T U R N Book.com. I've got a whole pre-order order bonus with five different courses. Friends had contributed to me on money mindset, starting your side hustle, getting your mind right, getting your body right. There is so much there, more than $2,000 worth of courses you get for free when you order a copy of the book and submit your receipt. So uturnbook.com would be the best place to go. That is so awesome. Well, my gosh, hopefully you'll come back on again in the future. And we just so appreciate your expertise.
0: This is, this is really perfect right now for what has happened in our society. It's yeah. a lot of people are upturned, wondering what to do. It's really creating a lot of like, you know, questioning in, inside of oneself. Like, what do, I, what do I want to do with my life? And so this is the perfect time uh, for, for this book.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, and I, I honestly feel like it's never too late to really be asking these questions. And so far, so many people, I think, get stuck saying it's too late and I don't get to start over. And there, nowhere is that written in the clouds that that's the case. Life is short, but it's also kind of long and you do have space to keep redefining yourself. And the most interesting people I know have careers that are not linear. So hopefully this episode helps whoever it's meant to. And I'm so grateful that I got to come on. I love it. Thank you so much. And for
0: everyone else, we'll see you next week. Hey, primal blueprint listeners no dairy in your life no problem primal kitchen has you covered because our no dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love made without gluten soy canola oil or artificial ingredients this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified Visit us at PrimalKitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love.
1: Hi folks, Mark Sisson here.
0: If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.